Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Turned over by Eklund and a shot from the left side by Lemieux, safe score on the rebound. Carl Grundstrom. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. 2.40 left to play. Sharks work it to Carlson. He lost the puck. Stealing Grundstrom in on left wing to the net. Pass across. Shot. Score! Blake Lazard. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Kings played the San Jose Sharks Sunday night. They're playing the Golden Knights on Monday night. The Empire Classic is Wednesday night. It's, it is not theoretical anymore. Uh, hockey's back. I'm at the rink every day watching these guys skate around. Uh, it's awesome. I love it. It's fantastic. Adrian Kempe was nice enough to sit down with me for about 15 minutes about a week ago. But before we get to that conversation, Jim Fox is going to tell you all about the first four days of training camp and who's standing out in his eyes. Joining me now from LA Kings training camp, Jim Fox. How are you doing today, Jim? Jesse, doing great. Thank you very much. So we're recording this Sunday around noon. It's day four. We've seen scrimmages. We've seen drills. Anybody standing out to you so far? Well, the first thing I would say is this, is that generally speaking, I've seen a few of these camps and it's easy to get ahead of yourself, but generally with the group, to me, it's the word solid comes to mind. It just seems like a solid group. They all kind of know each other now. I think everyone, there's nothing really new. Of course, you're going to have some of the younger draft picks that are you know, chomping at the bit and having a chance, but uh, individually, uh, Brand Clark is is noticeable. You can, see, I mean, he he visually he is such an energetic player, so you can see his skill. There certainly is some risk to his game, which I think, and I'm not only talking uh, within a team structure. I think he'll have to protect himself a little bit better. As he gets smarter, not necessarily along the boards, but more in open ice. And uh, the other guy who's caught my eye has been Gabe Velarde. I just think that his skill continues to show through. I know he made the transition last year from center to wing. We've talked to him. He still thinks he had a lot to work to do along the boards in his own zone. I think he was fine when he came up last year. But if it translates to preseason and regular season games, his skill is going to produce points. And that's what the Kings need. So I want to get into Velarde in a second. But before we do that, um, one of the things that I love to do is sort of eavesdrop on you and Stoll or you and Luke or you and, you and any of the guys that have played. Because you 
talk about the game in a way that those of us who have watched it for a long time just don't have that access to internally. So when I'm watching camp and I'm, you know, talking to people and, you know, <clears throat> my dad asked me every day, you know, like, what's the update? Who looked good? And I always sort of go like, I don't, I don't know. It's a lot of drills. And even in the scrimmages, not that they're going half speed, but it's definitely not game action. So if, you know, somebody does a toe drag through, you know, the center lane, like I can see that and I can go, oh, that looks great. If somebody has a nice shot, I can see that. But the positioning, the nuances of the game. So like when you're noticing Brant Clark, to me, that's something that leaps up. I, I can see that he's doing things in a way that's different than other guys at his position. With Gabriel Velarde, what are some of the things that you're seeing that are making him differentiate him from even himself from previous years? Well, I, I still think it's within his skill set that we've always known that he's had. And that to me is in tight hands and the ability to beat guys one-on-one. -on -one. You know, very that's not an easy thing. That's That's difficult to do. He's a big, lanky body, but his hands are so tight to his body sometimes when he moves the puck around, and then he finds a way to evade or escape and get around a guy. Uh, I think his shot is impressing me more and more and more as I watch it. It's just, you know, something I didn't really think about it with him. I thought he was more of a playmaker, but now I'm seeing okay. And I think we saw that a couple times last year where, again, you'd like to see it more. You'd like to see consistency. Is he maturing? Is he going to mature into that point? I, you know. But he, he's the guy, again, because we know Kopitar. You know Dowdy. I'll say this. With Brant Clark, when I talk to him, personality-wise, he reminds me of Drew Dowdy because he is extremely confident. Extremely confident. Uh, he's just one of those guys that, like he said the other day, I want everything to be in my hands, meaning I want the game on my hands. I want my chance to make the team. On my hands, he's gonna he's gonna play his game because he believes in that game, and I think Drew is exactly the same way. They they're confident, and I love to see that. Uh, I think with Fiala, I've noticed more puck protection than I thought. I always thought when he played against the Kings, I'd go to myself and look at the the, the stats and go, this doesn't fit. His numbers should be way better. Better. Way better when he was when now last year he had his career year, right? But I'm going chances created, intensity, mucking it up a little bit. This kid is a player. Now I'm seeing maybe that thing I didn't see because I only see him three or four times a year is you know, his little swivels of his hips when he gets into a an area where someone's gonna make contact with him or try to strip the puck from him. He really does a, a a good job of getting a solid foundation under him and protecting the puck. With Velarde, um, the issue of roster spots comes up. And I think most people assume that he will be on the opening night roster. But where he fits into the lineup becomes an issue. Yep. Coaches are fond of saying that things like that are up ultimately up to the players. But it, are they? I mean, is that 100% right true? Because of the injury to Arvidsson. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as I'm aware, he'll be back really quick, like maybe miss two or three games to start, and but then be right there. And he will get his job back. Todd told us that it's not, you know. Now, what happens if the guy who fills in gets three goals in the first two games? You know, right. then you kind of have, that's a good problem to have. Uh, I know Fagimo has been in that spot. 
in camp, I think that's Gabe Velarde's spot to win. Second line right winger to start the season. That's his spot to win. We're sitting here. The Kings will play their first preseason game today, mm-hmm. later today in San Jose. Up until this point at camp, I think Velarde has done everything to win that spot. You mentioned that Brant Clark is confident. I want to parse out that word because I I really enjoy talking to Brant Clark. And confident is the perfect word, but I always am worried that it carries with it the implication of, of the negative side of the word confident. And I have not, I've spoken to Brant Clark, I don't know, maybe four or five times now. And I've never once gotten even a shadow of a hint of arrogance. It's just... He's a kid. Yeah. But it's confidence, right? It's But it's humble confidence, if that's a thing. Uh, I'll say this. And it's the same thing with Drew. When I first saw him, and I said all along, Drew never, ever change. He's like a kid on a frozen pond, and he can't wait to get out there and play his next shift. He can't wait. They just love it so much. And they want the game in their hands, and they want the puck on their stick, and they want to be the difference maker. That's the confidence I'm talking about. I think there is a personality to Brent, and I'm sure at sometimes, you know, in the hockey culture team concept, it can be maybe mistaken for arrogance or cockiness or whatever you want to call it. But I, this is if I were to break down the word, then I would say on the ice, assertive. Off the ice, confident. Fair enough. So we did uh, 10 biggest questions for training camp. Um, one of them was, what will the defense look like? Because at this point, I think they have 10 guys that could start the season, and I don't think it would necessarily put the team out at all if any one of them were in there. Uh, any thoughts on what the defense might look like? Well, it's just, again, it looks like it's going to be Anderson and Edler, and then Sean Walker moving across. Mm-hmm which he's done before. Talking about the left side. Yeah, left yeah. side. So that's the... I would say this. If Brant Clark was playing the left side, he'd be on the team to start the season. Right. You know... Same with Jordan Spence? Now you're running into... It's great to have, right? Yeah, great to have this problem. Waiver issues will be, you know, exempt or not is going to be huge. Who's going to be on that opening right night roster? Like, Bjornfoot, he, he's... He can still go down and the King still maintain his rights because he doesn't have to clear waivers for one more year. That's that's going to hurt him. And again, with him, I know what they're talking about with him is trying to be more assertive. It's nothing to do with his skill. It's nothing to do with his reads. It's, not, it's just that little extra. And normally when I talk, anyone talks about that, they say, you know, commitment or intensity. No, I mean, He's been a captain at his lower levels. He's he's a leader. It's just when you see him get to top speed at times in games, you go, that should happen every shift, not twice a game. And it's just, they're, we're going to work with him. So, yeah, how, what's it going to look like? Right side. I think we kind of, you know what's happening with Roy and Dowdy. Spence. Walker moves across. You have Clark playing with Edler and Camp to start. You know, that's you got the nine games with Clark to mm-hmm. see if he, you know, can hang around before his contract actually kicks in and gets him closer to 
restricted free agency, then unrestricted free agency, those type, that timeline. But uh, yeah, that's, that's something I know. I know a lot of people, they should, and you should. I, I don't spend a lot of time putting lines together and defense pairs. And I really don't, I, I, whatever the coaches decide, I'm fine with that's, that's, that's their thing to go come up with. And, and I'm completely now to me, the most interesting thing, and I don't think is going to be, does the tactics alignment personnel or all three change on the power play this year? That was definitely one of our big stories of, so, uh, of training camp. Can you imagine if the Kings can play the same structure and find a half a goal a game more because the power play comes in at 15th in ranking? That would be a huge difference. Well, I mean, I'm certainly not the only person to make this observation, but in game six, they had an opportunity against Edmonton to, I mean, not win the game, but take a lead with the right. power play and, and it, you know, let them down as it did I, I, in so I, many other games. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the most difficult thing as a broadcaster to do is find a different way to say the same thing. And after a while with the power play, it just was not working. And you were always hoping. And the timing like you're talking, not you get into a playoff series or a playoff game singular, you don't care if the, the percentage. One for nine is great if that one comes with 12, you know, right. 12 seconds on the clock and you went, you know. That's which, and the Kings had those opportunities. Now, I think, I think we will see it if it doesn't come out of the gate. And I know you have a new coach that's going to prioritize that. I know Todd talked to us the other day, making sure that the staff is all in on everything. But certain assistant coaches get a priority, and Jim Hiller will have that. If it doesn't. If they don't see signs of what where they want to go early, I think the personnel will change because I don't think they're going to wait 82 games this year to change the personnel if the tactics aren't working. It was particularly disheartening, I think, for a lot of Kings fans because there wasn't – I mean, there was change on, this panel, on the special teams last year, but it didn't feel like there was um, significant change. So Jim Heller presumably comes in. The other big storyline – and we all agreed it was me, Jack, and Zach, Jack Jablonski and Zach Dooley, uh, who would start game one. And we all assumed that it would be Jonathan Quick. It's the most difficult thing for me to talk about because of respect for a two-time Stanley Cup champion. I think a Hall of Famer. This is where I think it's a great example of where a coach and a general manager looks at things differently. Todd McClellan's the head coach. He's going to go with a guy who's ready, who th thinks it's on his game to start. And I've got to think, Rob Blake is thinking, it better be Cal. <laughs> right. If not the first game, you know, start to get 50 games. The reason, personally, I find it because that. I hope, I hope that it doesn't sound like I'm disrespecting Jonathan Quick. I'm talking about timeline, ages, what you need, who needs to take. So, but again, Todd and his teammates and Jonathan and Cal, they want the guy in net. 
who's going to win that next game. Mm -hmm. Bigger picture, you hope that Jonathan continues to play at the same level and Cal gets better. When the Kings acquired Leish Anderson and in the months following it, you and I spoke about it a few times and you said that you believed there was a very specific plan. Now, since that, since then, they've acquired Deneau, Arvidsson, Fiala, Trevor Moore has emerged, uh, Arthur Kaliev has emerged, Carl Grundstrom now may get a chance. Is, is in your mind, the... I'm just going to I think the emergence mm-hmm. of Blake Lozat has thrown a wrench into Leas' plans more than anything. I thought the Kings had him penciled in at fourth line center, first round skill level, and an edge. Like he had an edge to his game. To a point where I think that maybe early in his career kind of take, took away from him exhibiting the skill. And, you know, kind of a bad boy. You know, I'm going to maybe hurt the team with a bad penalty here. That type of stuff. Uh, so Blake, I think his play may, but I, I still think, you know, it would have been easy to not bring Leas back. But I think they see some qualities there. Again, I think we, hopefully everyone understands when we're talking about these players, until they prove different, they're role players. They're not impact players. And that's why we're talking, you know, are they going to be on the roster? Not, you know, we're, and, uh, but I, I thought they always did have a, you know, the, his, his history, Lewis's history says first round skill level, high pick for the Rangers, and then just didn't make it. So you got to find a spot for him. So there's a player that played for the Kings, won the cup with the Kings, who <clears throat> me and my dad always, sorry, me and <clears throat> my dad always talk about as, you know, like, who's the next player that's going to turn into this guy? And it's Trevor Lewis. Because Trevor Lewis, first-round draft pick, 17th overall, I think. Role player, right? Bottom six, fourth line, third line, whatever it was. And and if you were eavesdropping on us, you might think that we were using it as an insult. But in my mind, it's a compliment. You know, if, if a Rasmus Kupari, for example, turned into mm-hmm. Trevor Lewis and had Trevor Lewis's career. Like, I'm sure Kupari probably has, you know, dreams of of being a, a more impactful player. But as a Kings fan, like, I'd be thrilled mm-hmm. with anybody and having Trevor that was kind a first-round pick also. Yeah. So, but he did, and he's still doing it, he is a role player. Mm-hmm. And the guy I comes to mind is Carl Grundstrom. Okay. Now, he, he probably won't kill penalties like a Trevor Lewis, and he won't get those special areas of the game. But I'm hoping, I'm just going what I saw last year in playoff situations where I thought he played very well. You know, so it's eight to 10 to 12 minutes, depending on the game, depending on how many power plays there are. But you know what? He's not the easiest guy to play against. And Trevor was probably that guy too, always breathing down your back, just forcing you to make a play. Yeah, he's going to run, you know, run into you. He's not going to kill it. You know, the game's a little bit different now. But so that's where I see that type of player. Uh, so I, I, I see it more as Carl elevating his game to get to that role that Trevor played as opposed to a higher skilled guy like a Kaliev dropping down, you know, known as a scorer and then ends up as a role guy. So I'd like to see Carl kind of 
you know, we'll see how much he, he gets as far as, you know, chance. And again, a lot of times his chances are limited because of the ice time given to a fourth-line player. Before we uh, wrap it up, how's the knee? Knee's doing good. Okay, great. Um, left knee replacement on August 29th. It's uh, almost four weeks. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, I had my hip done four years ago. I think maybe longer than that. Uh, the hip's a piece of cake. The knee is interesting, painful. Uh, I waited probably too long before I went in and had it replaced. So a lot of my mechanics and my muscles had atrophied before surgery. So basically it, it may seem funny. It was funny. We were on the road last year and the, Bally's was doing a feature and we happened to be walking to the arena in Edmonton and we happened to be there. And I saw myself walking and went, holy jeez. I didn't think, I mean, I'm not a young spring chicken anymore, but I said, I look like a 90-year-old man walking. I said, so I went in and I had, I just, my pain was pretty much under control, but the mechanics were off Leg wasn't straightening, was limping all the time. So I finally went in and get it and got it done. And you know, that's it's it's an ordeal. It's it's I, I was shocked when you told me how much therapy you're having to do. Well, it's it's and that's you have to. But initially they have this machine that some doctors use, some doctors don't, constant motion machine. So you your leg is in it, it's supposed to be six hours a day. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, I didn't do it. I did about three hours a day. But then you got therapy on top of that. And then I do a little cardio with an upper body machine. And so it was like, it was a full-time job, six, six hours a day. But yeah, when the doc, when I, I, so I saw the doctor the next morning after surgery, because my pain was under control. You know, I said, doc, how, how did, how did it look in there? I, and I, because I wanted to, in my own, own mind, I was really unsure of whether I should have the surgery. Again, I saw myself on video. I go, ooh, that doesn't look good. But I wasn't really in a lot of pain. That was under control. And he said it was horrendous. <laughs> that was his first word. He said horrendous. And then he said, anything that could have been bad was worse. It is. So it's funny. <laughs> and I'm not looking for sin. I'm just trying to figure out the mechanics of why I was still able to walk without much pain. But it was kind of. In that surgery, a lot of times the ACL, the ligament in the middle of your joint, joint, knee joint, is they cut it in order to open up the joint to do the put in the prosthesis. I said, Doc, did you cut my uh, ACL? He said, You didn't have an ACL. <laughs> he said it was gone oh, anyway. Boy. So just one of those things. Uh, you know, it's going to be six weeks before you're kind of, and thanks for asking. And I, I know I've gone on. It's just very interesting to me because the hip was so easy. And this one is not easy, but six weeks, so two more weeks. I should be back to kind of mobile, normally mobile, and then six months, they say, before 100%. In a previous life, I sold children's shoes at Nordstrom's in Costa Mesa. <laughs> and uh, I won't say which, but a former Los Angeles Laker uh, came in with his children or grandchildren, I'm not entirely sure, and uh, his knee was eye level with me as I was fitting and the scar tissue was, uh, it was a lot. Um, I hope that you don't have to deal with yeah, any of that. Yeah. You just always oh, play golf, ride a bike to the point where 
I can go to the beach and ride a bike and an hour a day on the elliptical. That's all I need. And it looks like uh, everything from what the doctors say, you can you can get that. I've heard people now, they say, don't play hockey, don't play contact, don't ski. I've heard stories. People had double knee replacement. They're skiing, they're playing hockey. So When was the last time you were on skates? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. yeah I know. It's, yeah. Patinay is the... Uh, that's no, it's kind skate of like, you're going to be involved with. It's the recovery time. So yeah. you skate and it feels great. And, and then for two weeks, mm-hmm. your knees blow up and you got to ice it all the time. So. Are you going to be back in the lineup before Victor Arvidsson? Well, I know I'm, I'm working it out right now. I, I talked with Blakey. So, you know, I'm looking for five years at eight, eight and a half, <laughs> nine million. And, I don't uh, think we have the cap room for that. Uh, well, you know, they're going to move some guys around. <laughs> sure, right, sure. Know, so. All right, excellent. Jim Fox, thank you very much. Pleasure. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow. You got it. But everyone else will see you later. One of the huge perks of my job is getting to hang out and talk hockey with Jim Fox. We recorded that conversation in our new studio, which is still a work in progress, but that progress is further along than it was when I recorded the following conversation with Adrian Kempe. So if it sounds like this conversation was recorded on different microphones than the previous conversation... Um, that's because it was. Joining me now, LA Kings forward Adrian Kempe. How are you doing today, Adrian? I'm um, good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I talk to a lot of people about this. I don't think I've ever talked to you about this. I'm un- intensely uncomfortable using people's nicknames. Do you prefer Juice or is Adrian okay? I like Adrian. I like him both, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I don't hear Adrian too often anymore sure. over here. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I do appreciate that. Is it weird when somebody like me, and and I won't call you Juice, but like if somebody like me called you Juice, is it weird? Like I'm not on the team, I'm not out there, you know. You know uh, it was a couple of years ago because it was just you know in the team, and then people outside started calling me, and it was just like it was not weird, but it's just like I haven't heard that before. But now I feel like a lot of the fans call me Juice, so I'm you know totally fine with that. But. Uh, I do like when people call me Adrian sometimes. So. All right. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I cleared that up. I'm calling you Adrian. Thank you. Um, Ed, when the season ended last year, playoffs ended, Rob Blake came and he talked to the media and he said, signing Adrian Kempe to a contract extension is a priority. And you came out and you said, signing a contract extension for you is a priority. You guys signed a contract extension. How, I mean, obviously you're happy with it. You signed it. But, like, how happy are you with it? Uh, well, I'm really happy with it. You know, uh we came to an agreement that was good for, you know, both parts. Uh, I was happy to stay here for longer than, uh, you know, uh, I was really expecting maybe in the where we were at mid-talk. But, you know, we got four years and that was, uh, you know, I was very happy with that. It put me in a good situation right now. And, you know, when the contract is up, uh, I think uh, I'll still be, be at the age where uh, I'll be a real good player, hopefully. So, I mean... Uh, I think it worked out really well for the team and for me as well. We've seen a lot of players come to agreements with the team recently, whether it's from outside the organization or inside the organization, that are friendly deals. You know, they help the you know everyone's getting what they need, but they help the organization out. Is there a feeling from the players that the organization is working with them? You know, that it's a true partnership between the players and the front office to try and collaborate and make the team as good as possible uh yeah for sure and i mean i think uh for every player obviously you want to get a contract that you think you're worth and uh on the other side you also want to you know help the team as much as you can but uh it's hard to say but i think uh in uh, 
my opinion i think uh, it was a fair deal for both the team and for me and uh, you know i'm really happy with it and uh, i think the team is as well so i mean just gotta live up to it now so let's talk about the last season you scored 35 goals it's you know your breakout season some people are using that phrase was there anything that you feel either the coaching staff asked you to do differently or anything that you did independently differently that led to that output was it just opportunity like where do those goals come from uh i think mainly opportunity i felt like I've never played on a more consistent uh, role than in my previous years. I've always been in, you know, different lines, second line, third line. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to build that chemistry. And obviously, th- last year I played with Kopi, and Kopi is one of the best players in the league. And obviously, uh, to stick with him, you have you have to score. And, uh, you know, but I, I, f- I feel like just playing with him over uh, almost the entire season helped me a lot. Uh not just to score, but, you know, to build a chemistry with someone on the line and whoever we had AI or for the most part next to us, you know, you build that kind of chemistry with those two and that helps a lot. And uh, you get confidence for that from, from there for sure. Instead of, you know, bouncing around in all kind of different lines all the time, you, you know, it's hard to, to play with a guy and then go to a different guy. And, you know, you got to start to figure out how he plays and where to be when he has the puck and stuff like that. So I think, I feel like, just being on a consistent line helped me the most, for sure. We heard from different members of the coaching staff about the different personalities the different lines had. So we heard at one point last year, I think Todd was telling us that um, Kaliev and Lazat and Lemieux, sometimes that you know they're all so um, energetic, I guess, for lack of a better word, that sometimes they start barking at each other because you know they're they're all you know Lazat and Lemieux are bouncing all over the place. They bounce into each other and they're. But, it, you know, he said it's good. It helps them. And then um, Marco Stern was telling us about Deneau and Arvidsson and more. And he said, you know, you can see them in the locker room and they're just talking about fantasy hockey or whatever's happening in the league. You know, and he said they, they called them all hockey nerds. Like off, you know, outside of the on the ice chemistry, what kind of chemistry would you say was developed uh, for you and Kopitar last year? Uh, I mean, good, obviously. Uh you know, we're both from Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been here for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I've been knowing him ever since I came now. And I feel like, you know, I'm starting to be one of the more experienced guy in the rooms too. And, uh, you know, that's that's good for me and a go- good opportunity to, you know, be louder in the locker room and take a bigger role there. And uh, me and Kobe has always been close. And, uh, you know, he's been helping me along the way all the time. And especially when, I mean, when you're line mates, you kind of, you know, connect a little bit more outside the ring too and you know this is that's a great thing and obviously you connect with uh, with everybody on the team and you kind of you kind of saw that last year that we had a you know good thing in the locker room and uh, on the ice as well but uh, yeah you definitely connect with your line mates a little bit more when you play with them for sure now Kopitar is not from Sweden but Slovenia starts with the letter S and he played in Sweden. Is that enough to make him like an honorary Swede in the locker room? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, you know, he's, <laughs> Great. He's always. Uh, we have a lot of Swedes in the corner, actually, where where we're sitting. So he has. Uh, he's surrounded by Swedes, and uh, I think he. I think he likes it. But you know, he uh, he's actually pretty good at Swedish uh, to pick up the whatever we were talking about sometimes too. And sometimes he barks at us for speaking Swedish too. But. Uh, I know he understands, so uh, it's uh, it's funny. If he, you know, if he was trying to get back home and his plane accidentally landed in Sweden and he was there by himself, could he 
Could he sur- I mean, obviously, most people in Swedish, I imagine, speak fluent English. But could he survive in an environment where he had to speak Swedish? Uh, I feel like if he was under pressure, he would deliver a good Swedish. Uh, he he knows a lot of terms, and uh, as I said, he understands most of it. So I think he would uh, do his fine. Uh, Alex Edler also signed a contract this summer, and uh, a phrase that we heard, well, maybe I might have said it and Mikey Anderson might have agreed with it, but we called him this, the uh, Swedish godfather in the locker room. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, very accurate, actually. Uh, I feel like he, yeah, ever since he came in, he's always been, you know, all respect uh, to him for how many years he's played and everything he's done. You know, he's an unbelievable player and still is a great player. And, uh, you know, you could definitely tell as soon as he came in. I didn't know him at all uh, before he came in. But, you know, you kind of just have that. I don't know uh, what you call it, but you, you could tell that he has been in the league for a long time, and uh, a lot of the Swedish guys look up to him a lot, and so do I. And and uh, yeah, he's uh, definitely a, a godfather to to all the other Swedes on the team. Is it? I mean, the answer is going to be yes. But is it nice having that many guys from Sweden in the, on the team and in the locker room? Uh yeah, I like it. I mean, obviously, when I came, it was I think I was the only Swedish guy at the time we had, and then. I think Jonas Enroth uh, came as well, but he was with a big team and I was with a young team. And then over the years, you see, we've been picking up more Swedes and Swedes. And uh, it's uh, it's really fun to see all the guys that come over here and, you know, want to give it a shot. And uh, the guys that uh, has been in the minors and uh, the guys that are up in the NHL now, it's, you know, it's it's a great thing to see for, for me as well. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's a fun group and, uh, you know, we all hang out with each other and... Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just fun to see that as the organization has uh, ever since I got drafted, you know, started to pick up more Swedes and uh, see that they're becoming good players as well. When you first came over, did you like peanut butter? Uh, no, I've always been on the edge. It's not super big in Sweden, but mm. uh, I've started liking it more for sure by the time I've been here. And so, so many other things that I didn't like when I came here either, but uh it's a lot different, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not that big at home. Uh, but I started liking it more throughout the years, for sure. Are there things, whether it's peanut butter or something else, are there things like that where when a when a new guy comes in from Sweden, where you can pull him aside and go like, "Hey, this is what the Americans do. I get it. It's weird, but you know, here's how you live with it." Uh, yeah, a little bit. But I felt like ever since I came to, like you know, there's a food is completely different uh in sweden i mean it's not that big of a difference but it's just like when i came in to eat breakfast here you know in sweden we don't eat a lot of like scrambled eggs and stuff like that and it was just like that kind of stuff that you you get used to it obviously and i like it but it's uh you can definitely tell when you come over as as younger what people like and what people think is weird (laughs) and uh we have we have our own things in sweden that we we do like but i mean it's uh yeah, it's a different environment for sure. Can you tell even the weird differences between like Americans and Canadians? Because there are definitely some culinary things that. Yeah, I've been starting to pick up. You know, we have, you know, a couple of Canadians on a team, and you can definitely <laughs> tell when there is an argument going between not just food but other stuff that are you know Canadian and American things. So uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a good thing to pick up. So Kevin Fiala traded to the team and signed. We know that he has playing experience with Victor Arvidsson. Uh, do you, how well do you know Kevin Fiala? Uh, quite well, actually. Uh, you know, he we played against each other in Sweden uh, 
you know, when we were younger and he played there. Uh, I think we are both 16, 17 when we played for the pro team in Sweden against each other and always played each other against uh, against each other in the national team growing up under 16, 17, so all, all that kind of stuff. So I've always, you know, known him and of him, but then, you know, last couple of summers, I know he spends a lot of time in Sweden in the summers and, uh, you know, you bump into each other every now and then. So we kind of knew each other a little bit and uh, we're the same age, same draft and everything like that. So uh, I was very happy when they obviously traded for him and when I saw that he signed a long-term t- contract as well, you know, he uh, had a great year last year. Uh, you can definitely tell when, ever since he came here too, that what kind of skill he, he has on the ice, even if it's just practice, you can tell that he's going to bring, bring that to the team and uh, be a very productive player, I think. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see him out there. So this is where I want to get into stuff that I'm always curious about. I think it's really easy. And I see this on, you know, social media, message boards, whatever, fans say, oh, Kevin Fiala had a great year. Adrian Kempe had a great year. Andre Kopitar is Andre Kopitar. The three of them are going to combine together. And now, you know, it's just going to be that number of points plus that number of points plus that number of points. But when you have a guy like him who had a great year, he's now, right, he's looking for the puck, presumably. And you had a great year, so you're looking for the puck. Is it hard to play with players who have had immediate recent success or is it easier to build off of your strengths uh i feel like it's i mean it's hard to say obviously because we haven't played with each other yet but Mm -hmm. uh you know just looking in practice right now even you know if it comes up that we're gonna play with each other me Kobe, and kevin you know it's i think we're gonna do well uh i know what kind of skill set he has i know he wants to puck a lot and you know it's the same with Kopi. you know they uh, they have the puck a lot and uh, i uh gonna have to you know keep playing the game i've been playing you know i obviously like to have the puck on my tape too but i know what kind of skills they have and uh, we saw last year that uh if i find the right spot uh kopi was gonna find me or ai was gonna find me and this year if it's kevin or kopi uh i just gotta try to you know uh be in the right spot and uh, yeah, try to work hard for them. And uh, and uh, I think we're going to see over time if it works or not. But I mean, I feel like right now it's going to be a good line. And uh, we're uh, already, you know, talking in the locker room and stuff like that. So uh, we'll see. We'll see after a couple of games if it, if it works or not. So in an office setting, frequently, you know, I've been talking to a lot of my friends that work in all sorts of different industries and, and everybody's taking these personality tests and it's, Different companies have different things, but it's, you know, whether it's the Myers-Briggs or Enneagrams or whatever it is, and you take your test, you get your score, and then you find out, oh, this is how I interact with, you know, different types of people, and you figure out how to, you know, smooth over your inner office conflicts or whatever. But when a coaching staff is addressing players and, you know, building a line, for example, how much communication do they have with the players on, you know, like, let's say last year, Kaliev, Lazat, and Lemieux. You know, does the coaching staff go to a, a Blake Lazat and say, "Okay, Artie Kaliev's a young kid. He's, you know, this is the kind of person he is. This is the kind of game he plays. This is how you're going to have to adapt your play." Or do they just do the practices, lay out the systems? These are your responsibilities, and it's just up to you guys to make the chemistry work. Oh, they definitely talk to us all the time, even from last year. If we didn't play with AI, when you know some other guy 
Artie sometimes came up and played with us. You know, they talked to us for sure, but then mainly it's definitely up to, to our line as well. And, you know, say we play with Artie, you know, we sit down and talk to Artie and say, but hey, you know, this is not how we play, but this is what we'd like you to do. And this is where I'll be. And but obviously when you're out there, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to think before the game, but then once you're out there, everything's so fast. You're going to just interact and, you know, be, uh, just be good in the moment. And, uh, and, uh, then you see if it works or not. And, uh, uh, you definitely try to talk in line what, what you like to do before games, if we have plays and stuff like that. But it's, uh, once you're in the game, it's, uh, use play. When the summer's over and the season's about to start, are you more excited about getting back on the ice and playing again or more bummed that now the off season's over? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's nice to have a little break from hockey, definitely in the summers. Uh, you miss it a lot, especially when I'm back home, you know, just not being in California, being around the guys and being at the rink, you know, everything's easy here. You can skate and work out whenever you want. It's a little harder back home, but... Uh, you you want the season to start as you know soon as possible. Uh, you want the regular season to start as soon as possible. Uh, a couple of weeks before that, obviously, it's good. It's good for the team and good to get you know all the all the skating and and stuff uh, back together. But uh, yeah, right now, just looking forward for for the season to start and uh, get some games in. All right, last ones before we let you go. What was the last hockey game you attended as a fan? Like, we paid for a ticket, sat in the stands, not in a press box, not in a locker room. Um, I think it was, might have been a couple of years ago, actually, after the season. Uh, my hometown team were in the Swedish final. Uh, so, me and my brother and a couple of friends went to went to the finals. Uh, I don't remember what game it was. Game three or game four, I think, in Stockholm. So, that was, I think, the last one I went to, uh, if, I don't, if I'm not wrong. Where do you like to sit when you're watching a game as a fan? Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, that's tough. Uh, I mean, a suite's always nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, if I if I have to go, that would be uh, my uh, my priority, and uh, it's the best thing I think. But then, once again, I watch a lot of soccer in the summer, and uh, I like to be in the you know in the and the mix too, and then the crowd with everybody else. But uh, when you're in the hockey game, you know, back home, it's a little different because people know who you are. And uh, when you're at a soccer game, people don't know who you are. So it's <laughs> a little different. Hopefully, you'll be in the mix this season with the LA Kings. Thank you very much for joining us. Congrats on the new contract. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Kopitar forces him off the puck. Follow carries it up ice over the attacking line. Drop pass. Kopitar. Rink wide. Kempe scores!